Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. Today, I've got a really, I'm really excited about this guest, uh, Mr. Darren Gold. He's managing partner of the Trium Group, where he serves as his executive coach to CEOs of many of the world's most influential companies. He's also the author of the book, Master Your Code, The Art, Wisdom, and Science of Leading an Extraordinary Life. This book has received a lot of critical praise, and I want to throw my hat in the ring on that one because I've, I've read the book. I love his take on it. I love his story, uh, and I'm just really excited to have Darren with us. Um, he's had a lot of people recommend this as a book that they need on their shelves, and I want to add my name to that list, too. Uh, before reading this, I had what I would call my holy trinity of leadership and personal development books. Now I've got, uh, I have what I call my quintessential quartet because I've added Master Your Code to it. Darren, thank you very much for spending some time with us today and being a guest on the show. Earl, thank you so much and thanks for so much of your uh, praise. It's uh, very kind and I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's, it's and it's well-deserved and once the listeners get it, they'll get it. Uh, but before we dive into that, I want to start you where I start all my guests. What does the phrase burden of command mean to you? Yeah, I had uh, sort of the initial reaction and then sort of the deeper, more reflective reaction. The, the, the initial reaction was maybe more, more of the obvious one, which is, you know, leadership isn't a burden. It's a responsibility and a privilege. And we've sort of moved past the command and control era. But when I thought about the phrase uh, more, I, I really liked it because I think there's some nuance in it. I think, for instance, um, I think the pendulum has swung a little too far in leadership today, away from the value and wisdom of uh, command and being directive. Uh, in many instances, uh, that's required and needed. It's what people um, who are following leaders are asking for. And so I, I, I do love the idea that you know, bird of ca command captures one one element of leadership, which is the need to be directive and commanding uh, in times. The thing I like most, though, Earl, is um, burden. Although I don't view leadership as a burden, I imagine you don't either. It does suggest uh, like a solemn, sacred um, responsibility inherent in leadership, and so uh, that came to mind for me as well, which I which I really liked because I do believe that. While leadership can be a lot of fun, it carries with it some weight uh, that comes with the responsibility and privilege of leading others. Yep. No, I, that's that's a good answer. I like it. And it's what I tell everybody. There's no right or wrong answer. I'm just I, I love asking that question to hear how people, you know, because I've had people across quite a few backgrounds, some military, some non-military and, and how people have the reactions and, and come to grips with what it means to them. So. Uh, I like the fact that you had kind of a dual layer process there. So appreciate you going that deep into it. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started here, because what I like about how you how your book is laid out is you get really deep into something that is kind of near and dear to my heart, which is kind of the, the neuroscience and the psychology behind who humans are and why we make the decisions we make. And I like that you kind of compared it to a computer code. Uh, so how did how did you get there, seeing the human mind and, and psyche as computer code? Yeah, I uh, I came upon that metaphor as I was writing the book. Um, the basic premise um, 
in the book is that you know we all hold a set of beliefs, values, and rules that are mainly safety-based and subconscious and really drive our behavior and in many times limit our results. So that was the basic basic premise. But it, it occurred to me that uh, in many ways it, this set of beliefs, values, and rules operates like a operating system or a computer program um, that runs us, right? There's sort of an automaticity to it, like it, it happens to us. And the big um, transformation that's available to each of us as human beings and leaders is to be able to see, to be able to first see the lines of that program as such. And then to move from a place of being run by a program to being in choice and intentionally constructing what I call a code. And so I draw this distinction very early on in the book between a program that sort of runs you and in many ways protects you, but doesn't really allow you to thrive as a human being as a le- and a leader. And then this carefully, intentionally constructed code that is purposefully designed to really allow you to thrive and, and lead an extraordinary life. And so as I was writing the book, um, that metaphor sort of just came to me and it, and it really seemed to work throughout the book and it's had a lot of resonance with people. Yeah, well, and it's what I like about it is, is it's I like how you lay out like we kind of start with this base code, if you will. Uh, but that's not the end of it. You know, a lot of people seem to, to feel that their destiny is what they were born to be, the circumstances they were born into. It just is what it is. And, and it, it seems to me like that's true if you don't put any effort into your life. But if you put forth some effort, think about it, you can rewrite that code and make a whole different outcome, right? Yeah, completely different. Uh, you know, we construct our reality. There's a there's a quote in the book that I love from the Talmud, which is the Jewish text and uh, ancient text, and it says, uh, "We do not see the world as it is; we see the world as we are." Mm-hmm. And so we 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 move around in a world that is a uh, a result of our own construction. Um, you know, you and I and others, uh, we each have a very different internal representation of what the world is, and therefore we take very different actions and. The, the, the superpower that each human being has is the ability to choose how we construct that reality rather than just having it constructed for us, you know, based out of our early experiences. And that sounds a little abstract, but when you get into leadership um, and we're confronted with difficult situations, um, we have a whole lot more choice about um, the how we respond to that situation than we, than we give ourselves credit for. We can get into, you know, what that looks like. Yeah, and it is really amazing how much choice we have. You know, it, it and I, I'm sure you've ran into this, but it, it drives me crazy dealing with people who just kind of resign themselves to, ah, this is life, this is what it is. And and, and you have a lot of ability to, to influence and change your own life. You do. And, you know, I think the, um, and, I, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way because it's kind of the default human condition, but most of us, um, run around, lead our lives from that default position, which is the world happens to me, circumstances shape me, there's very little I can do to affect my situation. And part of that, there's some truth to it, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. Uh, but part of it is it, it lets us off the hook. Uh, it allows us to avoid responsibility for our outcomes and our results because we get to blame circumstances. That's just the way I, I am. That's the way I'm wired. And so there's a convenience uh, in that way of seeing the world. Um, but it doesn't serve us. And one of my big uh, kind of aha moments in my 
personal and professional life was to be able to see that distinction very clearly and say, wait a second, I shape my circumstances and I shape my world. There's always something I can do to affect every situation. And I dedicate a whole chapter to this notion of being 100% responsible, which is, you want to talk about a burden, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a, a beautiful burden to hold because it gives me the power to shape my circumstances. It gives me the power in every situation, no matter how difficult and no matter how seemingly out of control, to find my source of agency. And there's always something I can do in every situation to affect that situation. But that's gotta be a core belief, a core line of code that I write, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I wanna operate in that kind of way. And for most of us, we're subconsciously uh, driven by this cultural belief that hey, you know what? That's very little I can do, and the, you know I get to blame. I get the 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 payoff of being able to blame others and avoiding responsibility. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I love what, everything you just said there because you know it goes back to in my Crans uh, dictum uh, episode. You know, the, I, I'm a big fan of that that ownership piece that you were just talking about for all of the same reasons that you just you mentioned is, you know, when you own it when you take that responsibility that that gives that gives you that power that's something you can fix if you're blaming other people you can't fix other people you can only fix yourself and so taking that responsibility is it's it's liberating it's scary but it's liberating it is it is and it's a practice like everything um, that has some complexity to it and anything worthwhile in life uh, requires dedication and practice uh, and awareness of when we fall back into a place of, of giving up our power and um, and then just noticing and, and making the shift. That's yeah. leadership. Yeah, no. I, and, and through the book, you, you talk about, so, you know, I don't want anybody listening, sitting here thinking that we're not compassionate or concerned about things that have happened to you in your life. Because you do a good job in your book of talking about those kind of early childhood developmental things that that happen, but those are those aren't those still aren't things that you can't overcome, right? Yeah, yeah. I do spend, uh, and I was reluctant to do this when I first set out to write, which is like to indulge in my own personal story. And I got some great advice um, from some colleagues and mentors that said, "Look, your personal story needs to be shared." So I do share. Um, my story, uh, and I do think it helps the reader um, both understand where I'm coming from, but also relate to uh, to me in a, in a certain way. But I, I was born into a pretty tough environment. Um, my dad dropped out of school very early on. He took to the streets, literally. He was a kind of a street hustler and lived a life of crime. And so I grew up in, in surrounded by that. There's a lot of violence, not towards me, thankfully. Um, both of my parents spending some in, intermittent times in jail, uh, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and um, but around underneath all of that was, and I grew up with my father um, mostly, um, was a father who absolutely loved me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I share that story because I wanted to uh, convey what it's like to what what happens when you are making. Um, responses to your environment. And when I was in that environment at age seven and age eight, I I unconsciously or subconsciously created a program that said, I'm going to do everything I can to get educated, to achieve, to, you know, to get financial security so that I don't have to leave 
and live this life uh, that I've been living as a child. And that when I have the opportunity to have a family, I can provide a very different life. And so born out of that experience was this program that was all about getting ahead and achieving and, and staying safe. And in many ways that program served me. And what I describe in the book is the many ways where, uh, because I wasn't aware of it, uh, it was really limiting me, limiting my effectiveness in every area of my life and including my leadership. And so it was an example. Everybody has that set of story, different, of course, um, that starts to form this program. And I, that's the sort of sharing that I do in the book. Well, and it is amazing. And it? When, you, when you look at success stories, like like when you look at the Richard Bransons, when you look at the, the Bill Gates, when you look at the Steve Jobses, when you, when you look at the Mark Cubans and, and people like yourself and, and even like myself, they almost always start with some what what most people would see as as a hindrance or impediment. I mean, you know, Richard Branson it talks about his dyslexia and how tough it was for him. But they, they grew up poor. They grew up having to basically having to learn to hustle to make ends meet. And then now they have this success. You very very rarely hear of somebody who comes from a place of of privilege and wealth that achieves that level of success. You know, a lot of times it kind of you, you hear that it slides backwards. Uh, they they take it for granted. They don't have the work ethic, the drive, and all that kind of good stuff, and and they take it for granted. So there, there's a lot of value in that. Uh, uh, we call it in the Marine shared suffering, but but learning how to deal with those uh, those inconvenient uh, those inconvenient obstacles in your life and overcome it to achieve success, right? Yeah. Or, um, you know, even if you do grow up in a life of, of, of abundance and, and safety and security, there are psychological burdens uh, mm. that you can that you can have <laughs> depending on your family of origin. And those can be just as difficult uh, to deal with. So there are stories where people, despite what seems like a perfect environment to the outsider, um, have a lot of psychological baggage that they have to overcome. And it's in the overcoming of that where, you know, where awareness um, and self-mastery is born. So I, part of, I think, what you're pointing to, and I really like, is this idea that, you know, we don't want to be prisoners of our past, but we do want to be students of it. Because mm-hmm. if we understand our past, we understand what shapes us. And if we understand our past and have the courage to take it on, we become masters of, we become masters of ourselves. And it's really self-mastery that is at the core of, I think, effectiveness in life. And so regardless of life circumstances, there's always something if you're willing to dig uh, and be courageous and take yourself on that you can find that has shaped who you are, that served you in many ways, but is really limiting you. And you take that on, which is really tough to do because it's so fused with who you are, um, but take it on a way to expand it, not get rid of it, uh, can be a, an incredible growth moment for, for people. So for those of you listening that have not started that journey or maybe just uh, you know beginning, I would say, regardless of your circumstances, there's a gold mine there for you to go after and begin to master. Oh, 100%. Well, so I'm sure when you uh, kind of reveal this concept to folks, you get some people that really push back and, and you'll be like, well, no, my life was this. There's no other way around it. How do you get past that? Uh, I guess we call it a victim mentality almost. To get them to realize, hey, you don't have to give in to the things that have happened to you. You can change your code. 
Yeah. Well, conveniently, a lot of people engage me because they recognize there's something that they they want to evolve or change. So oftentimes I uh, I'm I'm past that. But I think it's a good question because I think it applies to everybody in a position of leadership. And when I say leadership, it's not just leading a team or an organization. It could be leading your family. Uh, and certainly I say everybody's the CEO of themselves, right? So you're a leader of yourself. So oftentimes people will say, how do I get others to change, right? Or and I know that's not exactly what you're asking, Earl, but I do want to raise the point. And yeah. what I what I offer is um, the self mastery. This notion of um, and what Gandhi said, and I'm going to this is a paraphrase of his real quote. But be the change that you want to see in the world, or that you want to see mm-hmm. in others. Right. The best thing you can do is to embody and live and be totally congruent with the very things that you want to see in others. So I often say, um, spend less of your time. You know, trying to get people out of their victim mindset and more of your time operating from what I call a responsible mindset yourself, that way of being will become so attractive to others. And they're like, wow, there's something about this man, Earl, right, who just is like, he always sees possibility. He's always finding a way where, you know, he sees what his role was in every situation. And people will be attracted to that. Um, That's, I think, in many ways, the most effective way to begin to influence and shape the environment and others um, that, that you're living in and leading. Um, and then I think the, the maybe the more straightforward way to answer that question is through distinctions. And so I often, you know, I offer in the book and in my coaching and work with business leaders, powerful distinctions that allow you to see things that you couldn't see before. And I say there are these three dimensions. There's the first dimension, which is uh, what, what I know I know. That's a pretty small dimension. The second dimension is what I know that I don't know. And that's where most traditional learning and development occurs. Then there's this, this huge untapped third dimension, which is what I don't know, I don't know. And it's distinctions that allow us to see what I didn't know that I didn't know. And that's where people's minds get blown. And so even the basic one that we've talked about, responsible mindset versus victim mindset, just the awareness that there's that distinction for a lot of people like, oh my God, I didn't even realize I was operating this way. I didn't even realize there was another way to see the world. Now we're in a totally different conversation. So the power of distinctions, I think, is is maybe the most important thing for people. Mm. I like that. I like that. And and you, you hit on, uh, you know, one of the things that, that my group teaches, uh, the leadership phalanx, we teach these things called shields. And the first one we, sh- uh, the first shield we teach is what you just said. You were always on display and modeling that behavior comes very much from the the Gandhi quote and uh, all the way back to Sun Tzu. Uh, and, and so it's it's nice to hear that these principles uh, apply everywhere uh, because it is. It's it's That's why I liked you sharing your story the way you did in your book because as we kind of talked uh, in our lead up, we have very similar backgrounds. Yours was a little bit more extreme. Um but but we had a similarity in the fact that even though my mom was going through her issues, I knew that she loved me. She was dealing with the things she was dealing with, but I knew that she loved me, and she loved me enough to send me to my grandparents so my grandparents could be the ones that raised me. And that's the thing that uh, I, I, I look back on my life, and I see that as the thing that kept me from being kind of into that just victimhood, there's nothing better because my grandfather was the one that always pushed me that, you know, hey, 
you either life either happens to you or you happen to life. And and uh, but but I guess where I was going with that is I, I appreciate that that level of authenticity and vulnerability in your book because you share you share some gritty details, and I don't know how anybody can read your book. And I don't care what your background is, but I don't know how anybody can read your book and hear some of the things that you went through and see where you are now and not walk away with, hey, this guy's not just trying to sell a book. This works. Look what he went through. Look what he accomplished. No, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, um, I, I think it's important. It's also, I think, important as a leader to do that, right? To, you know, I and I, I pause and, and sometimes question the, the word vulnerability, um, but there, you know, let's just use that word, right? To be vulnerable, which to me means to be courageous. Yeah. And yeah. to share your story in ways that uh, may at times feel a little uncomfortable because I think as a, as a leader, it does humanize you. It does connect you to the people that are following following you. It does, you know, set a um, give you credibility and set a standard. And so that's just I think an important act of leadership is the willingness to do that. Yeah, well, and and maybe your experience is a little bit different. But one of the reasons why I like to recognize that is I, I run into too many leaders when I'm co- doing my coaching and mentoring that that they have this feeling that as the leader they have to be perfect they everything has to be in a row they're they're the expert they can't ever actually say you know i don't know they can't open her up about their the things they're suffering through in their life because they feel that they have to be perfect and always on and nobody's perfect and always on that that vulnerability as you said that courageousness to kind of share i like how you said it it humanizes it makes you somebody that your team can relate to and, and want to follow because, hey, this guy's struggling like I'm struggling, but they've achieved. Yeah. I mean, it's so important if you want to create a learning environment um, to be able to admit where you don't know <laughs> or where you've made a mistake and, and how you've addressed it. I mean, you're role modeling all the time as a leader. And so um, the last thing I think you want to do is create an environment where people need to be perfect and are afraid to take risks and make mistakes. So I think you said those words, I don't know, maybe the three most powerful words a leader can say uh, because it creates a learning context for people. It creates an environment where they're like, wow, this is a place where I can really take some risk and learn and grow. It's um, modeled by the leader that I'm following. So yeah, I think it's, that's that's vital. So uh, talk a little bit about the work that you all do and and uh, if we have any listeners that, that want to reach out, how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, we are a uh, 22-year-old management consulting firm. And uh, I'll, t- I'll start with our mission and then describe a little bit about what we do. Our mission is to change the world by changing the way business leaders think. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you can, you can already pick up on sort of the, the way I'm talking about leadership, that it's, it's not just about action, right? Underneath action, the source of action is our thinking. And so we go right at the kind of psychology of leadership. Um, and it's this really interesting coming together of two worlds, like the, tr- the worlds of traditional strategy consulting, because at the end of the day, business leaders, you know, they want to win in the marketplace and we help them with those big questions. And at the same time, we recognize that the biggest impediment to success in business uh, are leaders and there's the psychology of leaders. And so we're addressing kind of deep questions of leadership development at the same time and integrating those two. So we're one of the few firms that bring those two disciplines together and have done it for a long time. And I think employ a methodology and an approach um, 
that I'm that I'm speaking to, that's that's really effective. So we work mainly with senior leadership teams at a, very, a lot of the world's most well-known companies. And um, we're oftentimes coaching the leaders of that team. We are working with them around big strategy transformations or in some cases, um, culture transformations, but always uh, with the premise that if you wanna grow, scale, and transform a business, you have to grow, scale, and transform the leaders that are leading that business. Mm. No, I, I I like that because you know that that is the one thing that that uh, always kind of annoys me is that uh, how long organizations wait before they start developing leadership talent. Um, Harvard Business Review had an article, I think it was from 2012, so I don't know what the numbers look like today. But basically it was a global study that they did and it talked about, uh, I think it was like 2,000 respondents across, I think, 20 different countries, if I remember right, and there were several different industries. But the average age that somebody is promoted into a leadership role was in their early 30s, but the average age of their first leadership development training formally was their early 40s. And and how hard is it to, uh, to change the code on 10 years of on-the-job bad habits, right? Yeah, it's uh, I, I yeah I see that a lot, and you know one of the metaphors that I use with uh, with people um, with business leaders is the kind of elite athletes, and you know you pick your sport. I'm a I'm a basketball fan, so it's like Steph Curry or LeBron James. Could you imagine they're not working on their craft, you know, with massive intensity every single day, you know, uh, developing and getting better? And here we are leading, you know, large organizations or big teams in a complex world and we're not devoting the same kind of time and attention to the craft of leading. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to make, you know, I, I, so that's the part of the, the way I communicate the importance of this work is that it ought to be thought of as mastering any sort of important endeavor. And there's nothing more important than leading people. Um, and I think that, that oftentimes resonates with people like, yeah, wow, I, I spend very little time, you know, um, really, understanding how I lead and getting better at it. I'm just going through the practice of it without any, without any resources and help. Yeah. Well, and that's, so you kind of brushed up against it there at the end, but that, that is an important thing for folks listening to remember is, you know, that statistic was talking about formal development. There's so many resources out there now, uh, podcasts, books, uh, YouTube videos. Some of it's Let's be honest, some of it is garbage designed to, to get money, but there's a lot of it that has great value, uh, and, and there's just never been a better time for somebody who, who, who wants to sharpen that axe to be able to sharpen it pretty cheap. I totally agree. I mean, almost free. I mean, think about this right. resource. This, you're, you're a great show. I mean... Uh, it's if, if you're you have the mindset that I'm a learner and that this is a craft that I'm going to master, um, the, the content's ubiquitous. It's all over. And uh, you got to curate it a little bit, which I think is what you're saying. Right. right but once right. you do. Wow. Uh, so I, I think it's such a great point. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and like I said, books like like yours, like it's so the, the neuroscience part of, of leading and managing managing uh has always kind of fascinated me because there's 
we, we, we hear some of these statistics that, you know, so much of the human brain develops into three to four years and all this good stuff. And, and, and that's true, but it's not static. Um, I, I read a great book uh, called, and I'm trying to remember who wrote it now, but it was called Optimism Bias. And, and I'll try to find out who read it and, and put it in the show notes if it doesn't come to me. Uh, but, the, but the author made a point. She used the London taxi drivers as, uh, as kind of a control group. And she was talking about how when somebody signs up for the program, the training that they have to go through, and this boggled my mind, like they have to memorize every single road and route around London without a GPS. And part of their uh, passing is they're given a route and they have a certain amount of time to complete it and they can't consult a map, they can't consult a GPS. And the part of the brain that handles that information in London taxi drivers grew to, I think it was like 25 or 30% larger than the average uh, person. But then once they would retire and they weren't using it, that part of the brain would kind of shrink back. So the brain is just supremely adaptable. Yeah, it's such an important point. And, uh, you know, they call in neuroscience neuroplasticity, this notion that, um, you know, the brain continues to grow and develop and shape and strengthen um, throughout adulthood um, if you practice something new. And this is like fundamental to any kind of behavioral change is the notion that if we take on a new behavior and we practice it with intention and we do it deliberately and we do it daily that we will actually begin to reshape the brain such that after a certain period of time that new behavior becomes habitual and so much of you know becoming a great leader is to find the new behaviors um, to practice them with intentionality and so that they become you know automatic over time and what you're doing is leveraging this this notion that you just described and I love that study that the brain is totally malleable, and it didn't. We didn't used to think that. It was only a few decades ago that we began to discover um, this notion, and are now able to leverage it. Well, Darren, we've covered a lot of ground, and and really got into uh, got into the book and, and what you do. And I really appreciate your time. Uh, is there anything at this point that we uh, haven't covered that you would like to discuss? Um, I think we've covered a lot, you know, and there's there's a lot more. <laughs> we could be on the we could be on together for another few hours. So uh, I, I think we've we've we I think sufficiently uh, sparked interest, hopefully, and uh, and covered a lot of terrain. So I think this has been great. Yeah, definitely. And 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 what Darren just said is exactly true. Like we're skimming the surface on a lot of this and if we got deep into it this would probably be uh you know one of the longest podcasts in podcast history uh but what i want to do right now is just for my listeners i'm, I'm going to have a link to to darren's book uh through amazon in the show notes uh i highly highly recommend you get this book uh consume it don't just read it like consume it think about the things that darren is sharing uh it's great stuff. It's it's a great story. It's a great way of looking at at the human condition in general. Uh, so definitely get this book. Add it to your bookshelf. Add it to your Audible list. Whatever you use. Uh, but but it is a book that you need to have in your arsenal. So thank you for writing it, Darren. 
Oh, my, it, it's been a, a, a privilege to do it. And uh, thank you for that. And, and really been great to be on the show with you. Yeah, no, I really, really do appreciate it. And uh, so one last time for, for the listeners who, you know, maybe want to reach out to you and ask a question or follow you on social media, uh, how, how can they do that? Yeah, so I have a, uh, a website, darrenjgold.com, D-A-R-R-E-N-J-G-O-L-D. And you can get resources there and sign up for my mailing list. And then, uh, as you mentioned, the book's available uh, on Amazon and, you know, audiobook and Kindle and hardcover and paperback. So that's where you can get the book. Okay. And, and I will tell, so I'm an audible guy. Uh, and so much of a book, to me, relies on the narrator. You've heard Darren's voice on this. He narrates his own book. It's a very easy to listen to book. So uh, if you if you're an Audible person, if you're looking to just try Audible, I'm not a sponsored uh, podcaster by Audible by any stretch, but get try the Audible version. Darren's very very easy to listen to as a narrator. Thank you. I, I, I love doing that. And so it's uh, people have said uh, said the same thing. It's great to hear. <laughs> well, no, again. And so thank you very much for your time. Listeners, thank you for being with us. Uh, we'll have all that information in the show notes. Be sure you become more acquainted with who Darren is, uh, what the Trium Group is doing. Get the book. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, you can reach out at burden.command at gmail.com. I really appreciate your time being with us today. Uh, make sure you rate and review the, the podcast and leave some feedback. And, uh, you know, keep those shields up. And I look forward to talking with you again in the next episode. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.